Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. Good morning, Hope Church. I admit I was looking at the wreaths earlier, and I was wondering if I could throw something through it. So if you had that thought, you can try to get it out of your head now, but it may be there forever. Today I want to ask you a question. How far would you go to find hope? How far do you think you might travel to find hope? Today we are beginning, as Tom said, a new series here called The Songs of Christmas, and we're looking each week at a different song that may be a familiar Christmas song to us, and the origins of that song, who wrote it, why they wrote it, and how it connects to the story of Jesus' birth. And today I want to tell you about the story of the man who wrote A Little Town of Bethlehem, which we just sang, and I want to start by sharing why he went on a journey for hope. So I have a a picture here um, of Google Maps, and it shows, it's hard to see, but we have on the left here a little blue dot that shows where Phillips Brooks lived in Pennsylvania. And the red dot there is Bethlehem, or the Holy Land, and that is where he traveled to find hope many years ago on December 24th, 1865. And for those of you who are history buffs and know your dates really well, you may have a little clue there as to part of why he was looking for hope when he traveled there. Uh, But I want to show you, this is the Holy Land. For those who are not familiar, uh, the Holy Land is uh, basically comprises the area where Jesus lived and died when he was here on earth. And so it is the modern-day state of Israel, the Palestine, Palestine territories, western Jordan, and parts of southern Lebanon and Syria. Um, so many, many people over the years have taken trips or pilgrimages to the Holy Land to experience the land where Jesus lived and to um, sort of just be in, in that area and, and feel what it would have been like when Jesus was here. I know my my mother has been there. Maybe many of you have or know someone who has. Um, But this particular trip that Phillips Brooks took was a little bit unique, partly because of why he went and partly because of what happened through his journey. And so I want to share a picture of Phillips Brooks with you. And um, he was born December 13, 1835. And uh, Originally, he went to school, he attended Harvard, and he was planning on being a teacher. And what's interesting is he, he started this, this teaching job, and he was fired, and he had this moment of realization, probably a little bit like that lie we talked about several weeks ago, that, oh my gosh, now I, I thought I was going to go into this one career, and it didn't work out, and I failed, and now it's too late. And so... Um, There's actually a publication called 20 Centuries of Great Preaching where he's quoted as saying, I do not know what will become of me and I do not care much. I wish I were 15 years old again. I believe I might have become a stunning man, but somehow or other I do not seem in the way to come to much now. And there was this sense that he had just had failed, that he did not have a purpose anymore. And so he thought. But 
It turned out, like so many of us have, have found in our own lives, that sometimes those initial failures and those initial detours turn out to be something that leads us into a purpose we couldn't have realized. And so, shortly after that, he decided to go to seminary, and he became um, a, a rector or a preacher in the Episcopalian Church. Specifically, he, um, after graduating from Virginia Theological Seminary, um, he ended up at the Church of the Holy Trinity in 1862. And so he began teaching, and uh, he was a very gifted communicator. Uh, he was well-known, and he even started a ministry, a Sunday school ministry, that was reaching thousands of children in Philadelphia. Uh, so he had this, this really thriving ministry, and you would think that all was going well for him. But as you may be aware, 1862 was right in the midst of the Civil War, and so he was teaching to a congregation week after week in a place in Pennsylvania where, um, again, he was, he was in support of the North and he was against slavery. Uh, but Pennsylvania would have been like in that line where there would have been a lot of division and people who were, some were North supporters, some were South supporters. Um, so he made that bold stand against slavery. And then week after week, he was preaching to a group of people who were tremendous, experiencing tremendous loss, death, and, and just the... the war, the way that it, it takes so many things from people's lives, and people would come to expect him to give these inspirational messages week after week to encourage them, and he began to grow weary in the midst of that. And not only that, but when the war finally ended, and it seems like things were looking up, again, Abraham Lincoln was assassinated, and Brooks was asked to preside over Lincoln's funeral on May 4th, 1865. And so coming out of that season, he was drained mentally and emotionally, and he felt the sense of hopelessness and darkness. Um, there's a book that Tom and I have been using to, um, to, as kind of a springboard for some of the songs that we found, and it's called The Stories Behind the Best Loved Christmas, Best Loved Songs of Christmas by Ace Collins. And in that book, he says, in an attempt to rediscover and restore his own faith, Brooks left the pulpit to visit the Holy Land. And so this is where we find him. This is sort of the, the thing that launched him onto this journey from Pennsylvania all the way to Israel. His unlikely journey began because he couldn't escape from the weariness and the emptiness that was around him. I have an image here that I want to show you. It's hard to see, but it's this, this man backpacking in the wilderness, and it's intentionally dark. He's, he's in this like vast unknown, basically. And I want you just to look at this for a minute, and I wonder if you can relate to this at all. I wonder if you, right now, or maybe at some point in your life, have felt that you were just in this darkness, and you couldn't see the way out. Maybe you felt or feel hopeless. Maybe it's a difficult season in your life, or just an uncertain one. You know, it's interesting, um, in our life groups, we've been taking turns sharing our stories uh, with each other to get to know each other better. And uh, friends of mine a few weeks ago shared their story, and at the end, they said, you know, we had a lot of good things happen in our lives. I know it sounds like we shared a lot of the negative stories, but they said, the truth is that sometimes it's those difficult stories that shape us, isn't it? It's those difficult stories that, that propel us and, and 
shape us into the people we are, that grow our character, that change our course, that lead us to God. And I really relate with that. I really resonated with what she said because I think that sometimes it is the very darkness, it's the very hopelessness that propels us to take a journey towards hope, towards life. Sometimes the darkness can be an inciting event. Um, There's an author, Donald Miller, that I don't know if you've heard of him before. I think he's um, a great writer, very funny, um, down to earth. But he says this in his book, uh, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. He says, a general rule in creating stories is that characters don't want to change. Hmm, sound familiar? I can relate. He says, they must be forced to change. Nobody wakes up and starts chasing bad guys or dismantling a bomb unless something forces them to do so. The bad guys just robbed your house and are about to run off with your last roll of toilet paper. Or the bomb is strapped to your favorite cat. It's that sort of thing that gets a character moving. The rule exists in a story because it's a true thing about people. Humans are designed to seek comfort and order. And so if they have comfort and order, they tend to plant themselves, even if their comfort isn't all that comfortable. And even if they secretly want for something better. Man, does that hit home a little bit for you? I am so guilty of of sometimes staying somewhere that feels comfortable and safe because it's what I know, even if I know it's not good for me, even if I know it's not best for others around me. And it can be easy to stay there, whether it's an unhealthy habit or a toxic relationship or a situation that should change, but I'm just not sure I'm ready for it. Even positive things like, like going to college or um, starting a new relationship, sometimes we're afraid to do those things because the comfort of where we are feels, feels better somehow. And sometimes we almost need that breaking point, that, that feeling of um, either darkness or the hopelessness of where we are. It has to feel strong enough that we believe that changing is actually worth it, that we start a journey to something hopeful. Again, sometimes it's the very darkness that makes us start to seek the light. It's fitting that I'm sharing this story um, during what is, for the Northern Hemisphere, literally the darkest time of the year, right? We've, we've experienced the shortening of the days, the longer nights, and, and I know for myself and many of you, there's this sometimes a physical reaction we have to these, these shortening days, right? Like I start to feel anxious sometimes right around 3.30, 4 p.m. just because my body is like, I'm not ready for the darkness. In fact, I've started to see people posting memes about the darkness. Uh, maybe you've seen these. One that I saw said, not to be dramatic, but the sun setting at 5 p.m. every day is ruining my life. Or I found this one that I really love. Every day around midnight, I'm shocked to find that it's only 6 (laughs) p.m. I find myself like a cat now. I'm like, if I I see a little patch of sunlight on the couch, I'm like, oh, I must sit here. Um, I'm like craving the light now. But you know what's interesting? During the summer months when, when it's like, light still at 8.30, 9 o'clock, and my kids are like, I'm not going to bed because it's light out, so clearly it's not, not nighttime yet, and I'm trying to like shovel melatonin down their throat to get them to sleep. 
during the summer, you know, I'm like, ah, I don't need more light. In fact, if anything, I could use a little less light, right? But sometimes when we start to, when we start to get that sense that it's leaving us, that the light is gone, that is when I am desperate for the light. I was reading, and maybe you've heard this, that scholars do not actually believe that Jesus was born on December 25th, but that is the time that they chose to celebrate his birth. And I found this interesting. One of the reasons that people believe that people may have chosen this date to celebrate Christ's birth is actually because it occurs right after the winter solstice. And if you know this, the winter solstice is the darkest day of the year. It is, it is the day when um, the earth is at its maximum tilt away from the sun, and so it is the shortest day. It usually occurs on December 21st or the 22nd. And in this book I found by Adam Hamilton, Walking the Road to Bethlehem, he says, at the winter solstice, the world seems to change. Up to that day, the nights have been growing longer and the days shorter. Darkness has been defeating the light. But after the winter solstice, the days grow longer and the nights grow shorter. Light overcomes the darkness. And I love this image that Christ's birth represents the day when the light is winning. The day when we recognize and realize as dark as it's been, no matter how dark or broken or difficult our season or journey has been, the light is there and it will overcome the darkness. God has not left us alone. He sent his son to the world precisely for this reason, to be the light and hope of the world. And that is what Brooks, I believe, was searching for in that weariness and that emptiness when he went to the promised or the holy land. And so I wanna, I wanna take us with a couple pictures on this journey that Brooks took because it actually, the, the story goes that he went to the holy land and then um, he kind of left the main group of tourists and he kind of went off on his own and he was riding on this journey between Jerusalem and Bethlehem and so I have a picture here that I want to show you. And this is um, Bethlehem in the Palestine region of Israel. And so this, is, again, is a more current photo, but it kind of gives you an idea of the, the landscape and the, uh, the area where Brooks was traveling through. If you just imagine maybe fewer homes, fewer lights there. And so he's on this journey. And even though it was night, he was passing through the area of the shepherd's field where, in fact, the, the very shepherd's that went to see Jesus after his birth may have been. So I, I also have this image here of, um, this is actually a modern day shepherdess. And this is the area between, um, between Jerusalem and Bethlehem that she's tending sheep in. And so again, you can kind of just get this idea with the olive trees and um, almost we can start to imagine what Brooks was seeing or imagining as he was on this journey and again, I have one more to show you just of the, the night, Bethlehem at night. And like I said, obviously, fewer, fewer homes, fewer lights, but just, um, we, you can picture the song, you can kind of picture the streets of Bethlehem and the dark night and this imagery that Brooks was traveling through on his journey. 
And so it was on this journey in the midst of this trip out in the, the middle of nowhere where he began to get the lyrics for the song, O Little Town of Bethlehem. And just this, this sense of him understanding the great light in the, the dark streets, but this light that came for the world. And it's, it's interesting to me, especially after knowing more of his story, when he shares this one line that's so poignant to me, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. You know, I, I think there's so many fears and hopes that we have individually. And it's interesting for me to back up and get this perspective that throughout the centuries, there have been so many hopes and fears, haven't there been? There have been the, the civil war and all the fears that Brooks was experiencing and then wars since then and before then. There's the pandemic we're facing now and um, so many struggles, whether it's emotional or spiritual or mental health. And so you kind of get the sense of like the, the massive collective fears and hopes that we may be experiencing. And yet Brooks was able to come to a place where he realized that God is big enough to hold all of our hopes and fears, no matter what they may be. John 1, 5, 1, 1 through 5, talks about Jesus being the light of the world. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he's referring to Jesus here as the Word. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I've heard that, I've heard that phrase used even in like cheesy Hallmark movies. It is such a powerful image that the light will always defeat the darkness. The darkness cannot overcome the light. And this passage goes on to say that anyone who receives God, if we receive the light, we become children of the light. And in fact, in a few weeks, I'll be talking more about our response to the light and how we become um, ambassadors of that light. But God came, the good news is, is not just that God came, but that he loved us so much. The light is always representing his love. And in his love, he not only came, but he chose to die for us. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish or die, but have everlasting life. This is the hope that we have. This is the hope that we are craving. This is is the light and the hope of the world. It's Jesus. And this is why we are here today. This is why we celebrate in this season every year the light and the hope of our world. And I believe that just like Brooks was on that journey to rediscover the light, maybe you are also on a journey seeking the light. I have an image I want to show you now um, this is just the nativity scene, basically. And it, for me, represents when it comes. It will come. Wait for it. If it doesn't, I'll paint a word picture for you. <laughs> it may not be as pretty. Um, 
I wanted to show you just this image of um, the nativity in the darkness and just this like one single light shining brightly in the back. And you can almost get the sense with some of the lights we have here, just this, this light shining and giving hope. And I just want to sit for a minute in that thought, though, that wherever you are, whatever darkness you may find yourself in, um, that we're all on a journey together. Today is the first week of Advent, the first day of Advent. And for those of you who celebrate that or um, um, for, you know, maybe you have a journal, an Advent journal or Advent calendar that you go through. But Advent is really this, this idea of waiting um, for the coming of Jesus. And as we expectantly wait on Jesus, um, it's, it's a reminder it's a reminder that all the things that we've been looking to the rest of the year, wherever we are on our journey, all these other things may seem to fulfill us, but they really don't. And I think Advent is a good reminder to us all to just let the other things fall away and to recognize that we're always on this journey back to knowing Jesus more. For me, Advent is kind of like a bookend. Um, it's funny because every year, every year I celebrate Advent, and so it feels familiar, and yet my season or my life is constantly changing. So Advent every year, uh, you know, sometimes I'm in a season during Advent where I'm like expectantly and joyfully waiting on something. There's been seasons where I was kind of grieving something during Advent. Um, it, maybe it was a, a season of loss, and I was just holding on hope for Jesus Maybe there's sometimes where you're in the season where you, you, you just got a house or you just had a baby or you just got married. And so it's like, a, it's like a joyful celebration of what God's given you. And I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're experiencing right now. But I want you just to think for a minute, where am I? Where, where am I on my journey? Because we're all in the journey somehow. Whether you've known God for a long time or whether you're not even sure he exists, we're all somewhere on this journey so what are you experiencing right now? Are there fears in your life? Are there hopes in your life? Are there things you're waiting on? Does it feel like darkness or does it feel maybe hopeful right now? Whatever you are feeling in your journey and whatever you are facing, I would be presumptuous enough to say that Jesus is the answer and the end to our journeys. He is the hope that we all can hold on to, no matter the difficulty, no matter the pain or the hurt or the loss, he is our hope. Jesus came to defeat death and defeat our brokenness and he wants to be with each of us. And as Brooks found, and as he shares beautifully in his song, there's a part where he says, oh, holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. And again, it's this reminder that, that we desperately need Jesus in us and with us. And that is Emmanuel, our hope. He says, oh, come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. And what Brooks found on this journey ultimately was that Jesus was there with him all along, holding him in the darkness walking with him at every step of the journey, even when he couldn't tell if Jesus was there. The true hope and the true light is not something distant or far away, but it is Jesus in us and with us, making us alive.
So how far would you go for hope? What are you bringing on that journey with you today? And my prayer is that over the next few weeks, as we journey together, and as we eagerly expect Jesus during this season, that we will discover truly that the hopes and fears of now and all time are truly met in Jesus. God, I thank you so much that you are the light of the world and the hope for our hearts. God, I thank you that you sustain us in our weariness and that you see us in every step of our journey. God, my prayer is that for every person here today, every person who may be listening online, um, God, that you would bring us closer to your heart this Christmas season, that we would find ourselves stepping with you on this journey and that we would meet you, not just despite the darkness, but precisely that you would use the dark and broken places in our lives to propel us further to you, God. We love you and we thank you for